Well, good morning, everybody. Really glad you guys are here to, to worship with us today. My name is Alex, and I'm the, the pastor here of, of Ridgeview, and we are continuing the series that we launched on Easter uh, called uh, Blindsided. And in this series, we're looking at powerful emotions and attitudes that we all experience uh, that we tend to not see coming. And so it's something that, that we all face. It's something that we've all experienced in life and different aspects of life. But we tend to not uh, remember that this is a part of life and it tends to kind of hit us like waves and, and we can wipe out emotionally. We can wipe out uh, in our relationships. And so we're looking at how, how to face these things and not feel like we just didn't see it coming. We get overwhelmed by, by certain things. And so we launched on Easter talking about uh, being blindsided by cynicism. And that is, if you've ever just kind of found yourself being critical and overly cynical of people and situations, and you, you ever ask yourself, like, how, how did I get like this? How, why am I so cynical? I, I, I found that in my, myself. And then last week, we talked about being blindsided by disconnection. And we looked at how we live in an age of technology that in some aspects uh, provides tremendous pr- productivity and the opportunity to connect with people, but at the same time actually prevents us from relating to the people up close, those people that, that we can see all around us. And so we talked about how to move past uh, those feelings of disconnection and isolation to, to connect with God and to connect with others. And today, as you'll see, how, as Joel mentioned, is we're talking about being blindsided by pride. And pride is one of those things that I think, and I think this is common, but I think it's, it's easy to see in others, but it's hard to see in ourselves. And I think this is true of, of my own life, uh, because there's many times when I see someone doing something and I think, why, why are they doing that? Why are they bragging or boasting or promoting themselves? But yet, if somebody were to say that to me, I usually have a good justification for why I'm doing what I'm doing. I don't know if you found that. But I think that's kind of a universal problem we have with pride, which is kind of the nature of it. It's easy to see in others, but it's, it's actually hard to see in ourselves. And because of that, we, we can get blindsided by it. It's just there's a blindside of pride that I think we all can have. And so I want to kind of start by this scripture that, that Jesus talked about where he, he's specifically talking about this, this idea of being critical, but it's, it's rooted in, in pride And this is what he says in in Matthew 7. And he's talking really to the masses. And he says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? And so um, imagine, you know, I I have this two by four. It'd been really great if I had this. But if I had a two by four protruding out of my eye, and all I'm looking at is just like, man, you've got a a splinter. You really need to take care of that, that splinter. And as I'm moving, I'm smacking people upside of the head with this two by four. That's just, that, that's what Jesus is saying. So he, he makes this like exaggerated point for, to give us a pause. He actually wants you to imagine that. Could you imagine somebody pointing out something in you, but yet they're hitting you with this branch of a log outside their eye? So he's like, that's, that's crazy. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take this speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye. It's the idea of like you would be jabbing them by your own problems. And he says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your your brother's eye. And so this is one of those ideas in Scripture where Jesus is is trying to make a point. 
It's easy, again, to see the specks, but sometimes we, we fail to see the logs. And I think this is specific to, to, to pride. And so what I want to do is I want to do a, a, a pride pop quiz, but this isn't the type of quiz that you want to get 100% on. So if you fail this quiz, it's good. But then if you fail it, do you want to brag about it? I'm putting you in a tough spot. So here, here's some questions that I just want you to, to, to ask yourself. Okay, for number one, are you too proud to get advice? And I think most of us would say, no, I, I get advice. But if I were to ask it in another way, when you're lost, do you ask for directions? I'm just going to leave that right there. Number two, do you find yourself one-upping your family and friends? This is the idea of when somebody talks about something that they've done, do you find the need to kind of talk about what you've done? Maybe it's an achievement at work. Maybe it's something that you've accomplished. Maybe you don't say it out loud, but do you think it? I don't know. Number three, do you gauge or are you gauging your self-worth by your latest performance? So this idea like you, your week is going well if you felt like you have performed. Like maybe in a relationship, you, you really were there for this person or at work, you really did exactly what you did. And so your self-worth is tied to, to your performance. Uh, number four, can you celebrate others' success? Specifically, if something good happens to somebody in your life, right away is your instinct to be like, that's great. Are you kind of like, why did that get to happen to them? Good question. Number five, uh, do you squeeze successful or gifted people out of your life? Like, are people that are successful, do they annoy you? I'm just cutting right to it, aren't I? But, I mean, this can happen. We don't think about this, but if people are successful or if they have it all together, is there a part of you internally? You don't say this, but internally, you're like, they kind of bother me. They just have it all together. I wish that they actually had more imperfections that I could see so I'd feel better about myself. And then number six, do you have to have a say in everything? Like, if there is an idea at work or a project or plans at home, or relating to family and friends, do you, do you find yourself always having to kind of have a say? So what I'm going to do, just so we're all on the same page, if you scored 100%, you're going to stand up. And I'm just kidding. You're not going to make you do that. But you, you may not have scored, you know, on, you know, yes, I do that. No, I do. But I think we're all kind of mixed bag, wouldn't you say? Like, there's some of that where if people find success, it's sometimes hard to be happy for them. I think we've all faced that. Why? Because we really want that for ourselves. Or if we've blown it, we, we're, we're down on ourselves, and that's normal. Or if we're successful, we, we feel pretty good. And so what happens with this, this pride is, is it not only is it easy to see in others, and it's hard to see in ourselves, but from one situation to the next, uh, we have to, to fight against it. It's something that, that we're all plagued with. So here, here's what I want to do. There's three words that I kind of want to focus on. We're going to diagnose what pride is. We're going to see the damage that it does, and then we're going to look at what do, what do we do about it. So I want to start with the diagnosis, the source of pride. And I want to go back to the beginning of creation. Because in creation, when God made Adam and Eve, we actually find a lot about human nature. And since we're humans, uh, this is also our, our nature. And this happens in Genesis 3. Uh, this is, uh, comes right after God had set the boundaries for Adam and Eve. And he's relating to them, and he's leading them. And he set some boundaries, and you shall not eat from the fruit of the tree of good and evil. Like, there, there are some boundaries. I'm not giving you complete freedom. It's to protect you because I'm God and you're humans, and so I, I want to protect you so life will go well with you. 
But then in verse four of chapter three, this is what it says. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Because God says, if you eat of that, you, you will die. And the serpent says, no, you're not gonna die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So rebellion from the beginning of time, and if you know the story, you know that Adam and Eve ate of the apple. And at the core was, it wasn't just that the fruit looked good. I'm sure that was tempting. But it was also this understanding and knowledge that if they ate of it, they would be able to know like God knows and see like God sees and have power that's God's. And that at itself is the root of rebellion against God. We want to rule. We want to lead. And God says, like, that's my job. I'm the ruler. I'm the creator. I'm the almighty one. I set the boundaries to protect you, and humans, we want to blow past it. And that really is this idea of pride. We, we tend to know better. And so in the beginning, the source of pride is this idea of self-obsession. And what Adam and Eve wanted is they wanted to know like God. They wanted to have power like God. And this shows up in, in different ways. Self-obsession, we, we like to protect ourselves so we don't get hurt. We like to manipulate, jockey, pretend, inflate, brag. We learned this early on. If you want to learn kind of pride in its root, go to a playground at this elementary school during the week. And it's just filled with this idea, well, like, I can do better than you can. And then, you know, what happens after that? Well, my dad's better than your dad. Well, my house is bigger than your. I mean, you see this at a young age. It's this ingrained, we, we, want, to, we want to one up. We want to have the upper, upper hand. And so that, that's really the start. The rebellion was a walk in a direction of, of self-obsession. But we don't tend to walk around with this label. Hi, my name's Alex, and I'm self-obsessed. Nice to meet you. We tend to, we tend to hide. We, we have different masks. But again, we can be blindsided by this because we, we all have to deal with this idea of being obsessed with, with ourselves. Here's the thing. It comes out in, in two ways, our self-obsession. It can comes out in narcissism. I've heard that word a lot, but do you know what? This morning I actually finally read the definition and it gave a little clarity. To be a narcissistic person is really this excessive focus and desire on making yourself look good. If you're narcissistic, it's like you, you always are kind of dreaming about how you can be the center of things and you're obsessed with making yourself look good and appearing good. I think there's part of us that we, we, we have that in ourselves. Uh, but even in insecurity, which is the opposite, even in our insecurity, we can be obsessed with, with ourselves. But I, I want to I watch a, a video of what a prideful person looks like and see, as we watch this, see if you can just identify what are some of the things that this person is, is doing. It's not that hard. It's very obvious. But let's watch it together. Oh, Lionel, glad you could make it. Can I get you a drink? Yeah, something soft. I'm driving. Parking's an absolute nightmare around here, isn't it? Have to reverse into the tiniest of spaces. Still, I managed it. I mean, parking's not exactly brain surgery, is it? <laughs> and I should know. Why is that? Are you a doctor? Careful. Not a doctor. I'm a brain surgeon. Big difference. Big difference. Yeah, I actually know a joke about this. What's the difference between a doctor and a brain surgeon? One's not exactly brain surgery. The other is brain surgery. <laughs> So, uh, what do you guys do? 
I'm an accountant. Oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> I could do with an accountant. Filling in those tax forms can get really confusing, can't it? Still. It's not exactly brain surgery, is it? <laughs> I mean, brain surgery, believe me, is very complex. Are you an accountant, too? Uh, no, I work for a charity. Oh, that's a very selfless job, isn't it? I really admire you. I don't think I could ever do what you do. <laughs> I say that because it's emotionally draining, not because it's hard. <laughs> I mean, it's not exactly brain surgery, is it? <laughs> Which, as a brain surgeon, is what I do. Lionel, here's your drink. Lionel's a brain surgeon, you know. <laughs> yeah, he mentioned it. <laughs> Jess, I keep you late at the Space Centre. As always. Have you met Lionel? Uh, no, hello, Lionel. So, Jeff, how do you earn a crust? Uh, oh, I'm a scientist. I, I work mainly with rockets. It's, <laughs> it's um, pretty tough work. Um, what do you do? Why, I don't mean to boast, but uh, I'm a brain surgeon. Brain surgery? <laughs> Oh, exactly rocket science. <laughs> I love the applause, but it, it, it's satire. It's, it's, it's making a point. Now, if that was a party, and maybe you've been to a party with people like that, you're just thinking, how do I never see that person again? But it's a lot more subtle than that. that is, that's like narcissism to the T. Somebody who's just at any moment looking to promote themselves. For us, though, it, it's again, it's it's a lot, it's a lot more subtle, and that that's where we can be blindsided by it. I think some of the other idea of, of self-obsession is is through our, our own insecurity, where we want to appear a certain way, and we beat ourselves up because we're not that way, or we have such a high regard for what we should do that when we blow it, we we just feel like we've, we've ruined our life, we've ruined others, and we just beat ourselves up. And so even sometimes the opposite of this narcissism is, is still this like pull of pride where we actually don't want to come to grips that, of course, we mess up. We're human. Of course, we blow it. But I don't know, in my own life, I have to take a step back, and sometimes I can still be obsessed with self, just how I should do better next time. But I'm still focused on me. I'm the center of my own story. And I, th I think we all are. So that's part of this, this problem. But I want to talk in, about the, the damage that that, that that does. Because diagnosing the, the issue is part of it, but there, there's more to that. And so let, let's kind of shift gears and look at the damage done by pride. And this is found uh, in James and the devastation. It says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. And then it goes on, and it says, This is not the wisdom that comes from down from above, but is earthly and spiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Go ahead and put uh, verse 13 and 14 back up there, that, that first two, those first two verses. Do we have that? Thanks. This describes part of the, the devastation. So the question is, who, who's wise among you? Well, you're wise by the way that you live. 
But if the way that you're living has a certain flavor to it, you can identify, is that actually a life self-obsessed, a life of, of pride? And here's the description. If you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, tends to lead to boasting. And he's saying, if this is you, don't, don't boast about it, but you need, to, you need to make a turn. And then the writer goes on in verse 15, you put that back up there, and it says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above. It's a reminder back to the creation account. Because who was the one that came to Adam and Eve? It was the serpent, which is Satan. So the writer of James is saying, he's like taking us back. Do you remember? The reason we're self-obsessed is because we've been deceived. And the enemy has led us astray. And so the devastation of pride is this jealousy that fills us, this selfish ambition where we want to put ourselves first. And this ultimately leads, as the verse says, to this disorder and every evil practice. If you want to see havoc in relationships, if you want to see conflict, and you want to see things unraveling, most of the time as you pull back the layers, at the root of it is pride. Pride is at most of the center of the problems we have. And where pride is, the enemy is at work. And so ultimately, the devastation is this. Pride, it hardens our heart. And this is a tragedy because God, as our creator, he, he wants to, to lead us. He wants to, sh- to shape us. And as our leader and someone who wants to have influence on us, if our heart, if our heart is hard, then that influence is, is no longer there, that he will not force us. He's not going to break us. There's this thing where we have to be moldable like, like clay. We can't be hard like granite, like rock. So the writer is saying that if if you get to this position where you choose to put yourself first in your selfish ambition, then then you're kind of this granite to God, and he he can't mold you, and you can become superior and judgmental and isolated. And for me, when I think about a soft heart, there's also a tendency I have, and maybe you can relate to this, where you think, well, if I have a soft heart, then what, what about people that that will take advantage of me or manipulate me or, or walk all over me. And having a soft heart is, is not the same as allowing people to, to trample on you. Because people in their own pride will, will do that too. But this is really having a soft heart towards God so he can, so he can lead you. And that, that's, a, that's a big difference. The last few days I've been gardening, and this is like my first time really getting into the soil of Fontana. There's a lot of rocks here. I, I mean, it's crazy how many rocks. I mean, I, and I'm not just talking like little, I'm pulling out, like I have a rock garden that I didn't know was planted. And I'm just digging and there's a rocks and I keep pulling out rocks and keep pulling out rocks and I keep pulling out rocks. And it's very hard for things to grow. And you've got to pull those rocks out because it's gonna just stifle the life of anything that you try to plant. And what the writer is saying is that that's the same with pride. Pride is like having rocks and granite and pebbles and boulders in your heart. And God wants to plant these seeds where you can grow and you can obey and follow him. But pride is is this rocky soil, and you have to to remove those. You have to to take those off. Uh, Kerry Newhoff is a pastor and a writer, and he, he wrote this about the destruction of when pride hardens us. He says, pride will snuff out your empathy, stifle your compassion, create division, suffocate love, foster jealousy, deaden your soul, and make you think all this is normal. 
So he's saying pride's not good, everyone, just in case. That's just, I'm translating it. Pride's not good. And then it says it can turn you into the kind of person you loathe. I think that's very interesting. Pride not only hardens your heart, but I think it actually put blinders on you that you don't even see the person you've become. Even if it doesn't do that, it will infect your relationships with a toxin that may not be fatal, but is poison enough to ruin your joy. And that's what's so tragic about pride is the very thing you want is joy. But pride is saying get joy by running over people and putting yourself first. But that's the way of darkness. That's the way of the enemy. The way of, of pride is actually completely different. So here, here's, here's kind of this truth that I've been wrestling with in, in my own life, and that's God wants to lead us, he wants to shape us, and he wants to show us a better way. So when we're blindsided by pride and maybe this beating ourselves up or wanting to put ourselves first, and maybe we've even kind of experienced a little bit of that toxin in our relationships, what, what do we do? Well, you can't actually promote yourself anymore. You can't focus on yourself for the solution. We know the diagnosis. We, we know the damage. But what is it that we have to do? And it's, it's not actually what we, we tend to think. Here's what we need to do. We need to let God lead us and, and shape us. You need to let God lead you and shape you. And the only way that that can happen is by choosing humility. Nothing shatters pride like humility. So when I'm gardening and all those rocks and I've got my shovel, you know, a shovel lets me know that the rock is there. And so I begin to dig it out. I'm not shattering the rocks. It just lets me know there's a problem and I need to work around it. Humility is like TNT that I would put in the soil and I'd say, all right, let's blow this thing up. And it would just disintegrate the rock. Now, humility is something that it begins to disintegrate and then rocks just come back, and that's pride. It's like you never fully get past it. But if you choose humility over time, you begin to take large boulders and move them into pebbles and then pebbles into gravel. And God can get into your heart and begin to let things grow. And so the first thing we need to do to let God lead us and shape us is we need to cultivate. In fact, that garden term, we need to cultivate humility. Here's a passage in Philippians that's been a real help in my own life. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so there, there's the two things you see. Again, the selfish ambition and conceit is going to be there. It's there in all of us. And the writer is saying, if you, if you want to move God's kingdom forward and allow him to lead you, then your motive ultimately, and we're a mixed bag, but your, your motive can't be for you to be better, for you to look better, for you to get your goals. Instead, you look at others as more significant than, than yourself, and then you look to their own interests. Uh, one of the things that I find fascinating, again, is just looking at life, how difficult this is. And the idea of cultivating humility is something that if you're a parent, I encourage you. Begin to do this in your child. Because a lot of times what your child is showing is, is the human condition. And many times a child thinks that they're the center of the what? 
the universe, not even the world, the, the whole thing of the solar system, of all the planets. They're in the middle of that. And sometimes it's easy to see in kids because they don't have the filter. They're not as sophisticated to hide it. But we're the same. But one thing you can do as a parent is if you're training kids or if you're a teacher, you're, you're with young people, allow them to see that they're not the center of the universe. That's one of the most healthy things you can do. You're actually loving them because if they think they're the center and the earth and life and everyone revolves around them, they're going to have a really hard time. They're going to have a rough life. And so one of the things you can do is cultivate this early in, in children. My, my son just started playing basketball, and it, it just cracks me up. There's a passing drill, and the passing drills break down because the kids don't want to pass it. They start It's like you pass, you pass. But as soon as that hoop gets close, there's this part, and the kid's like, don't pass it anymore. you got to shoot it. Don't you pass it. The hoop's caught, you know, and, and you see it. It's like they're passing, they're passing, and then there's the hoop, and they're like, you're not there anymore. And, and, and then I went to the first game, and it just was a crack up. Because even in myself, I find myself like, hey, pass it. You know, because my kid didn't have it. Pass it to the other kids. Other kids I'm related to. You know, it's like, even in that, like, I'm fight, like I don't like that. And it's, like, it's ingrained. You find this in, in, in sports. And so this, this idea of cultivating and, you know, with, with your children is, you know what? If you pass it and you're a good teammate, then your, your teammates will, will respect that. They'll want to play with you if you put them in, in, in front of yourself. That's you, you know, you don't hear that much. But that's what cultivating humility looks like. In church life, we have heart attitudes. And these are certain attitudes that, that lead to actions that, make our relationships, and make our church go. And the first hard attitude is to put the goals and interests of others above our own. We believe that if we put others' goals and interests in front of our own, our relationships will be sweet. And so we really work towards that. We don't do it perfectly, but if somebody has a goal that I can help them with, I've loved them. And if somebody has an interest that I become interested in, I've loved them. And ultimately, I've chosen humility. And then if they've experienced that, and then they do that to somebody and it reciprocates, and you see that this, this is what makes relationships good. Again, conflict begins to dissolve as people look to each other's interests. And so that's how you, you cultivate it. Uh, the second thing that you can do is to pay attention when God humbles you. So you cultivate it. It helps if you can do that at a young age and begin to learn you're not the center of things. Then the second is pay attention when God humbles you. You know that term humiliation? Have you ever been humiliated? Not usually something that we hope for, like this weekend, what you, what, you know, I just hope I can get humiliated. What are you going to do? Maybe go to the movies. Oh, okay. None of us want to be humiliated. But a humiliated, you know, when we're humiliated, a lot of times it comes when we've hoped something will happen. We've had these hopes and dreams and it doesn't. And everything we had hoped, it gets destroyed. And specifically, sometimes it makes us look bad. My first job out of college, I got, I got laid off. And when I came home to tell my wife, it was humiliating. We've been married about a year. It's like, well, hon, remember like for better or worse? About to get worse. <laughs> 
I got laid off. You know, I didn't want to say that and then tell people. And, and I'm sure you've faced different things where it's like you really would tend to wish people didn't know about things because it feels humiliating. But because God wants to lead you and shape you, there's times when if life is humbling you, pay attention. Pay attention to that. Because when we get humbled, and sometimes even when we get humiliated, there's everything in us that wants to justify that we're better or prove our worth. And again, that's this focus on ourself. And what God is saying is, is like, look, I, if humbling things are happening to you, pay attention because I, I want to do something in you. You're soft, your heart is now soft. Sometimes humiliation can destroy some of those rocks as well. James 4, 6 says this, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So he gives more grace to those that, that turn to him and realize they don't have it all together. I think when we're humbled through life, even through correction, somebody humbles us by something that they say. The more grace is, if you turn to God, help in that moment he will he'll teach you something but the opposite is if you are proud you oppose god the the literal word of oppose is like you're in like a ring with god and you're gonna box you know when they start a boxing match they come and they touch gloves when you choose pride that's what you're doing can you imagine that all right god you're like warming up and all of a sudden it's God and you're like, touch gloves with God? How do you think it's gonna go? But in our pride, that's what it is. He opposes, you are his opponent. You're sparring with him. But he gives grace to the humble. And so when God humbles you, when somebody humbles you, when life humbles you, Pay attention. God, God may be working to teach you something. And the last thing is to let God lead you and shape you is to invite and practice humility. Invite and practice humility. Now, isn't that so easy to say? We should all invite and practice humility. Doesn't that just roll off the tongue? Man, that's so great. But do we really want to invite? Humility or practice it? No, it's so, it's so hard. But God, God will help us. James 4.10, a few verses later, says this. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Because I think the reason that we choose pride is ultimately we want things to be better. We want to have control. We want to put ourselves up. And what God is saying is like, it doesn't work like that. If you put yourselves up, you'll be brought low. But if before God you are low, he will bring you up. That is counterintuitive. This is why I think that the world is so desperate for hope, and it can only be found in Jesus Christ because everyone is going the path of raising themselves up, proving their own worth, finding the satisfaction or their worth in things other than Jesus. And what they find is as soon as they go high, it's low. As soon as they've achieved it, it's empty. As soon as they've got their hands around it, it's nothing. And what God is saying is, it's found through my son, Jesus Christ. 
if you go low and you surrender to him, you bow your knee to him, you realize you can't spar with him, then then he will actually raise you up. Here's some ways to, to practice humility. Here's some things that you could do this week. The first thing is never lose uh, your gratitude. This is the idea of you just, you're, you're thankful for what God has given you. You ever heard that, that phrase like that person was self-made? They hit life and they pulled themselves up from their own bootstraps. They ever use that anymore? That's kind of a like old school phrase, but you know, it's just like you're just making it happen. Well, nobody's actually self-made. What people don't realize is God is actually the one that made you. So you're not self-made in the beginning. And he's also watching. But this idea of, of gratitude, it, it's like going to the chiropractor and you get an adjustment and it puts you back in alignment. Pride gets you all mangled and tangled and mixed up. But when you choose gratitude and you that thankfulness, you realize like, God, I don't have it all together. I don't have all the pieces. I don't have the power. I, I can't do this. I can't figure this out. It's like that adjustment. Yep, that's right. Alignment. God, God will help you. The second is uh, take the low place. This is so hard. But think about in your own life, what's like the low place? Like practically, I was thinking for me, well, it's like if there's like one Diet Coke left at my house and my wife really likes Diet Coke and I really like Diet Coke, the low places, I just leave it for her. But I really like Diet Coke and it's been kind of hot. Nothing refreshes like a Diet Coke. You know, this is the battle we have, but sometimes the low places like you don't take the last thing you let somebody else have it. That's that goals and interests. You, you, you let somebody have what you want. You give up something for someone else. Sometimes it's you give time to people when you feel very busy. You listen to people. You ever ask somebody how they're doing and they actually honestly tell you? And you're like, oh, man, I thought this was just supposed to be like the American, like, I'm good, you're good. Like, you're actually telling me? Taking the low place, like, I actually do care. And in that moment, you have to remind, okay, God, help me to listen to this person and not be thinking how I can, like, back away from this conversation. Take the low place. Listen. Uh, could be serving. Is there someone that you just see you could help them and you, you, you choose to serve? Uh, third, put others into the spotlight. Nothing kind of helps the practice of humility than putting somebody into the spotlight when you want it for yourself. So for instance, if your boss comes to you and says how great of a job that you've done on something, you have two responses. First is, thank you. Really, you know, thanks, thanks for knowing, like, I, thank you. No, that's it, that's all I'm gonna say. That's the first approach. It's like, okay, thank you. You take it, arms wide open, like, thanks. And you just hug that compliment. Yeah, thank you. That just warmed my heart. The second approach is you realize that you could only do this because of so many other people that are helping you. So in 
instead of just hugging the thank you, you dispel it to other people. Well, you know, I, I couldn't have done it because, man, the purchasing department, they, they met all their deadlines, and they really worked super hard. And, you you know, Nancy and, and Frank, they, they just came through, and I'm just going to start making up names that I don't want to do because Billy was the next thing, but I didn't want to say that, and then I just did. But anyways, um, you, it's that idea of, like, you can just take it for yourself or you, you choose to put others into that light. That's, that's hard to do. Because we think if, if, we, if we promote others, then they're going to forget me. But again, that's like part of that self-obsession. It's so easy to get into that just again and again. And then the last thing is tell yourself uh, the truth. This is one of those things that you actually, um, you have to kind of know the, your own games that you play. Do you, do you know what I mean by, like, we all play games? It's like there's something that we're doing in a strategy to kind of get what we want or to make something happen, but we don't tell anybody because, like, I don't want people to know I'm thinking about that or wanting that. And we do this with our spouses. We do this with our kids. We do this with our coworkers. We do this with our extended family. We can do this in, in ministry, at church. It's this idea of, like, I, I have this, this strategy, and I really want to see what I have happen. It's my goals. And when my goals are blocked, it kind of bothers me and irritates me. And I'm maybe not going to tell you that there's a problem, but I'm going to make you, you pay. And we do that differently. Snap at people, frustrated. Kind of ignore them, give them the cold shoulder, however it looks. Telling yourself the truth is this idea of when I'm feeling like this, what, what's going on inside of my heart? And you have to ask yourself questions. Like, why, why am I jealous to that person? You guys experience jealousy? Like, let's be real. I think we all do. Something happens to somebody and we're kind of jealous. We react all the time to the emotions, but we very rarely ask the question of why. Why are you jealous? And sometimes you go, well, I'm jealous because I really wanted that. Okay, well, you didn't get that. They did. So just because you didn't get that, what do you think is going to happen? And then at the end, well, then I'm not going to be taken care of. Why do you not think you're going to be taken care of? Because I wanted that and I didn't get it. Okay, but do you think that God can take care of you. And again, it goes back to that, well, if I humble myself before the Lord, he will what? He will exalt me. So we have to ask questions like, why, why do I feel jealous? Why do I feel in, insecure? What, what are driving these thoughts? Why do I want to put myself in the spotlight instead of others? See, pride has this way of, again, it's kind of poison on the inside out. And it hardens our heart to the point where we don't even realize sometimes we're doing it. And so telling yourself the truth is, is really helpful. And, and that leads to this point. And I, I want to close on this. The only way you can tell yourself the truth is if you know it. And the only way you can know the truth is if you read the Bible. If you really want to shatter humility or shatter pride with humility it can't come from your own understanding or your own view of yourself you need god supernaturally through his word to give you truth and that's the tnt that will blow up the pride because god gives you perspective in his word that that's where the alignment comes that's where he allows you to see who he is and who you are and you can put yourself in the right position under him 
But without reading the Bible and getting the Word of God into our life in a personal way on a regular basis, we're just trying to figure it out ourselves. And we can have cues from other people. We can have cues from the media, but they're not going to point us to the truth. We need the truth for ourselves. And so I, I want to encourage you, if this is part of a battle that you have, and I think we all do, it has to correlate Well, I need to spend time in the scriptures. So I want to close out uh, by just having you pull out that connection card that Joel had you uh, fill out. And if you haven't finished filling that out, uh, go ahead and, and do that. And I'm going to invite the band back up. And we're going to receive our offering. And like we've mentioned, just drop that completed connection card uh, in there. Uh, But each week, we we encourage you to take some next steps. There's things you can sign up for, and there's the next steps that you can take. Um, First next step is, this week, I can invite humility by, and I've listed a a few things. Um, Those were the being, you know, thankful, taking a low place, putting others in the spotlight, telling yourself the truth, getting into the scripture. Uh, just choose one one for you. What What is something that you can do that can kind of invite humility into your life? Maybe it's something that just, maybe God just kind of put on your mind as I was speaking. Uh, write, write that in there. And then the second is uh, to memorize James 4.10. Uh, you tell yourself the truth with the truth. To tell yourself the truth, again, you need to know it. And a, the best way to know it is to memorize it. And so it's there. So memorize, four, J, memorize James 4.10. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So as you're facing something where you want to put yourself first or brag or boast, it's like, okay, I need to humble myself before the Lord because he will exalt me. And you just remind yourself of that truth. So go ahead and write a next step uh, in there. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to receive our offering, and we're going to sing a song back to God. If I've never met you, I'm going to be by the information table uh, on the way out, and I would love to meet you. If I have met you and you just like to come say hi, feel free to to do that as well. Uh, Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, which does give us the truth to orient ourselves by and to align ourselves with. Thank you that you love us despite our obsession with ourselves. And you not only love us, but you actually paved the way through Jesus so that we can have a relationship with you. God, I pray that we will cultivate humility by just putting the goals and interests of others above our own, that we can pay attention when we're humbled and learn what we need to. And then, God, I I ask that you'll help us to just invite and practice humility, just to look around us for opportunities to put others in front of us and to tell ourselves the truth about how you've made us and who you've desired us to be. And we need your help. Pride, it just it does harden us. And it makes us callous to your leading. And so, God, if any of us just have something that we need to do just to, to make that shift, we, we ask for your help. We cannot change on our own. So in humility, we ask, Lord, for you to lead us. In the name of Jesus, we pray.